Hi, I'm Gavin Giovanoni, neurologist at uh, Queen Mary University of London, and I'm based at the Royal London Hospital in the East End of London. And I'm talking to you about a very memorable and joyous experience I had last week when I travelled to the United States to give the Murray Bornstein Memorial Lecture. Um, Murray Bornstein was the principal investigator when he was working in New York uh, on the original so-called COP1 trial uh, that uh, showed that COP1, a collection of small uh, um, polypeptides, um, <clears throat> reduced the relapse rate in people with multiple sclerosis. This eventually led to the licensing of clitoromacetate or Paxone as a treatment for MS. I must say I never met Murray Bornstein, but it was worth noting that the original paper that came out in the England Journal of Medicine in August 1987 was about three months before I actually graduated from medical school in South Africa and long before I decided to become a neurologist. Um, actually, Gitaramacetate or Capaxone only got licensed for general use in the UK within NHS just after 2000. So it shows you how long it takes to translate a research finding, uh, even from a clinical trial, into clinical practice. So uh, nothing happens quickly in MS. Anyway, I've actually um, uh, copied his uh, the obituary that was published in the New York Times on, uh, in the, on the 6th of September 1995 um, uh, for you to uh, read, which tells you about his remarkable career. And the good thing about traveling to the United States or traveling to do these types of uh, lectures is that it gives you time to reflect on MS research, where it's going. Um, and uh, I use that as an opportunity to think about um, you know, wh where my research career is going. The other thing, it also allows you to speak and meet different people. And uh, you, you wouldn't believe how beautiful the US is uh, at this time. It's the beginning of fall, so they're beginning to see a change in color in the in the leaves of the forests. And my hosts, uh, Professor Andrew Pachner, who's the Bornstein Professor of Neurology at Dartmouth, uh, and Selma Bornstein, <clears throat> Murray Bornstein's uh, widower, uh, made my stay very, very special. And I would uh, like to thank them for uh, hosting me and, and going out of their way to make me feel so welcome. Being invited to give the lecture is an honor and a privilege. Uh, you know, most time, most of the time when I was younger, you, you know, memorial lectures were usually the preserve of old farts, you know, usually at the end of their career. And I was wondering if this is a hint that I'm uh, getting old. Um, anyway, I decided to make my talk um, about two dreams I've had in MS. One is about preventing the disease and the other one is uh, curing the disease. So I call my uh, talk Preventing and Curing Multiple Sclerosis. And both these topics are very dear to my heart, uh, as you're probably are aware from reading or listening to my podcasts uh, or reading the newsletters. Uh, I talk about this incessantly. Um, the other topic is the holistic management of MS and how we should optimize MS outcomes by uh, adopting the marginal gains hypothesis. In other words, trying to treat and manage all small things to improve uh, outcomes. Anyway, I put my uh, presentation as a PowerPoint uh, in my slide share folder, so you can download it. The links on the newsletter. 
So in terms of preventing MS, I briefly reviewed the epidemiology uh, of EBV and MS, pointing out that EBV is almost certainly the cause of MS. Uh, in other words, it's necessary but insufficient to develop the disease. And then if you prevent people from getting Epstein-Barr virus infection with a primary vaccine, you'll prevent the downstream cascade and prevent them developing MS. This is not only important for multiple sclerosis because there are quite a few other conditions linked to EBV. Other autoimmune diseases, systemic lupus erythematosus, uh, Sjogren's syndrome, primary biliary cirrhosis, possibly rheumatoid arthritis, and there may be more. <clears throat> and then there's also the cancers caused by EBV. So by preventing Epstein-Barr virus infection, you may prevent various lymphomas, particularly Hodgkin's lymphoma, Burkitt's lymphoma, uh, nasopharyngeal carcinoma, some gastric cancers, uh, and the list goes on. Yeah, so there is a uh, quite a large disease burden linked to uh, the consequences of EBV infection. So the vaccine is really a, a critical uh, innovation. And the good news is there are a rush now of different vaccine companies doing vaccines for EBV. And let's hope the population uh, adopts the vaccine if it's shown to be effective in preventing people developing EBV infection, particularly if it can prevent infectious mononucleosis. I also discussed uh, my EBV driver hypothesis that it's not just EBV triggering like a hit and run accident MS, but the actual virus by cycling through latent and lytic infection cycles drives immune dysregulation uh, and, uh, and uh, is responsible for priming and keeping the immune response going that causes MS. And that is the rationale why we need to develop uh, anti-EBV strategies, be it antivirals or immune therapies targeting the virus. <clears throat> I did spend some time uh, waxing lyrical about the promise of CAR T-cells. This is the uh, CD19 targeted CAR T-cells as a potential treatment for MS. The reason why I think they are a treatment because CAR T-cells, these engineered T-cells to kill uh, B-cells, go into the brain and spinal cord and will hopefully clear the what I would call the CNS B-cell compartment. And the B-cell compartment is important because that's where Epstein-Barr virus resides. It's latency phases in memory B-cells. And by killing or purging those memory B-cells from the body, you may be able to cure MS. Um, the other hypothesis I didn't have time to go into is why we should be targeting IM, infectious mononucleosis, the symptomatic phase of Epstein-Barr virus infection. And I'm trying to develop a IM pathway where we can test antivirals to, to at least treat IM. I think that if we can treat infectious mono and prevent the so-called exuberant or dysfunctional immune response that, is, that occurs in infectious mono, we may be able to prevent MS. Because I think that may be the substrate for developing autoimmunity or the immunological condition that causes MS later on. And so this is one of the reasons why I'm trying to shift my research focus into infectious diseases and to try and develop a uh, research program to study infectious mono uh, with the hope of developing antivirals to treat, on, to treat IM. Um, <clears throat> the problem I'm having is convincing funding agencies why a neurologist who specializes in MS needs to be involved in infectious diseases and do I have the necessary skills or a, ne a network to make it happen. And this is why I need help from uh, colleagues, both in general practice, virology, and beyond, uh, to convince the funding agencies that this is a worthwhile research program to fund. So I do need help with this. You know, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, one of the things about uh, the research community is incredibly tribal. 
and you you know you form these tight little tight knit communities and they don't like outsiders in so you know me trying to uh, barge in on the infectious disease research program is difficult because all the grant applications go out to infectious disease experts and they look at my cv and they say well he's an ms researcher what does he know about uh, studying infectious matter and so this is why i'm um, having an existential crisis and asking myself whether i have enough productive years left in me uh, to set up a new research program you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to be 60 next year, but I think I do have enough productive time. You know, all I need is um, five to 10 years uh, of research in this area. And as part of that program, uh, make sure I've got a good succession program, in, uh, succession plan in place. In other words, hire good juniors that can continue running, running with the baton if necessary. Anyway, the second part of the talk uh, was curing MS, uh, and I made my usual arguments that we need to define what a cure looks like so we can look for it. And we've done that many years ago. I mean, my first publication on defining an MS cure was in uh, MZARD's journal back in 2013. And I think if we don't have a definition of what a cure looks like, we will never find it. Uh, and I also presented the arguments why I think alumtizumab and HACT, which are both very highly effective immune reconstitution therapies, may already be curing a proportion of people with MS. Um, I mean, they're the only treatments that really put a, a large proportion into long-term remission, in other words, with no inflammatory disease activity. And they also prevent end-organ damage. You know, they pseudo-normalize or normalize brain volume loss. Um, uh, and I think, you know, that's part of the definition of what a cure looks like. Uh, and the question uh, that I need to ask you in the MS community is, do you agree with me or disagree with me? You know, can we define a cure and should we be looking for one? I also discussed the, which is quite a complicated part of my talk, the immunopathogenesis of MS using genomics uh, and Mendelian randomization. It's also a uh, bioinformatics technique to point out that uh, T cells, B cells, and the innate immunity macrophages are critical in the pathogenesis of MS. And one of the pivotal points in those interaction between those cells is the so-called CD40, CD40 ligand pathway. And this is a critical co-stimulatory pathway uh, in the pathogenesis of MS. And it's responsible for activating T cells. And if you block this pathway, you may be able to tolerate or you know, re-educate T cells and switch off multiple sclerosis. And I presented the results of the Frexalimab you know, monoclonal antibody trial, highlighting that Frexalimab may be able to reinduce tolerance, uh, at least in an antigen agnostic way. We won't need to know the autoantigen. By blocking the interaction between B cells, T cells, and innate immunity in T cells, we may be able to re-educate those autoreactive T cells and put people in MS into remission, in other words, cure them of their disease. And so this is why I'm so excited by the Frexalimab uh, a trial program and uh, you know we need to th think about how we um, investigate the reinduction of immune tolerance in for to patients uh, and look for it <clears throat> anyway you can try and read my slides and interpret them um, it's, it was quite a complicated presentation uh, I just wanted to conclude by saying that I've often taken <laughs> flack from uh, colleagues about using the P and C words, in other words, talking about MS prevention and cure. 
Um, you know, their criticism of me is that I raise expectations unnecessarily, which will ultimately lead to disappointment. And I would disagree with them because almost all innovations in science and medicine and in politics and social movements start off with somebody's dream. You know, and so why shouldn't I have a dream? You know, a dream of, uh, of a world free of MS. And um, you know, if you don't dream, you don't achieve things. So you know, I'd like you to. Uh, support me in my dream uh, and so if any of you ever end up on uh, um, you know peer review panels for grants I submit to you know uh, please remember that I want to uh, cure MS or prevent MS uh, and one way of doing that is to go where the money is which is where Epstein-Barr virus is and we have to start a program um, looking at infectious mononucleosis. <clears throat> anyway if you have any Comments, please leave them in the uh, comment section of the newsletter and I'll respond to them. And for those of you who feel MSLF is uh, worthwhile and you can afford to, please, I appreciate it if you did become paying subscribers. I don't have bandwidth, so all the income that comes from your generous donations is going to uh, paying for a professional medical writer and a website designer who's doing my is doing the MS selfie microsite, uh, which will allow this information to be created and uh, read in, a, in, a, in an easy, in a, a, bit, a better format. And please share this uh, uh, podcast and newsletter with anybody you think would find it helpful.